Hey, last uh, yesterday I got a text from a friend, and so you know, with this weather comes fun things called football, right? And so I don't know like how your team's doing, or if you're like a college fan or a pro fan or whatever. But I got a text from a friend, and you know, and they're like, "Hey, just reminder," because I don't check football schedules anymore. I just kind of you know do whatever, and and so they kindly reminded me that I think there's there's a game at twelve. Is that right? Is it at twelve? It's early. It's the early game, and so. You know, they asked me if I could get us out early. So I'll get us out at like 11.59. Is that okay? Is that good? They're going to lose anyway, y'all. It's okay. I know everybody's like, oh, I know, I know. My team's, well, whatever. My team was on a bye, so they didn't lose. So there you go. But anyway, no, I'll get you out on time. Uh, so if you've been with us or following along with us, we've been in Corinthians for, for what it seems like 10 years, right? By the way, we've got just a few weeks left in Corinthians. Who's excited about that? Some people are excited. Are, are, are you having a good time in Corinthians? I know it's a fun book, right? It's a fun book. It's a hard book, but I think it's a great book, and it's a great book for us as Paul continues to challenge us to be together and to be unified. And so last week, we talked about spiritual gifts at the beginning of chapter 12 and how every spiritual gift that God gives it comes from God. It's for God. It's for his glory. He uses us, and it's for the common good. I just love that phrase. Like, that's that's my sweet spot. Like, I just want to be used in such a way for the common good, not for anything else, but for the common good and how there's beauty and diversity in the gifts. And like, we all have our sweet spot. And like I said, they're empowered by God and the spirit and it flows out of worship, right? Everything flows out of our life of worship, just like we did just right there. So I love that. We also, we ended last week as well with kinetic, kinetic excuse me, and potential energy and and how that kinetic is the energy that you see, potential energy is the energy that could be, and like we're all living in those two areas, right? There are times where we're still, and we're waiting for God to use us and deploy us, and then there are times where he puts us out onto the field, and he uses us and our gifts, and so spiritual gifts are important, and we're going to continue the conversation of spiritual gifts this morning in the last half of chapter 12. And, but Paul's going to use a little bit of a different metaphor, and it's the body metaphor. And so just like physically, we've got one body, right? Like I know someone, and, and, and they would say, like, my body only has so many bends in it, so I'm, I'm rationing the bends. And, you know, like when you, when, you know, if you've ever, like, stepped down and picked something up, you're like, gosh, that used to not hurt my back, but now it hurts my back. You know, like we've only got so many bends, we have to make the best use of our physical bodies. But the same goes as well for our spiritual body that we all get to participate in. Amen? It all has... We all have the same body that we get to participate in. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen, I want to be in Romans, or excuse me, Romans, Romans chapter 12. No, actually, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And I just want to read this over us this morning. For, so Paul just said in verse 11, let me just back up one verse. All these, talk about the spiritual gifts, are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So that's the last phrase. And then when he turns to this metaphor, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but many if the foot shall say, should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, 
Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, excuse me, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. I love this. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are, and I love this declares statement, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So, Lord, thank you for this word this morning as we just look at what it means to be the body, as we think about how you've gifted us and equipped us. I pray, Lord, that we would find hope in these pages. I pray, Lord, that you would give us vision in these pages. I pray, Lord, that you would show us our place in these pages and as we consider what it means to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, the whole theme of the book is the Corinthian church, that is a new church, is struggling to figure out how to be one. And unity is the main theme. And so Paul keeps working back to this idea that we should be together, whether it's in worship or gifts or our roles and all the things, how we interact with outside culture, right? And so verse 12, it says this, just as the body, right, just as our bodies have many parts, so it is with Christ's family. Christ's family is so big and is so expansive that it is a place where there is room for everyone. I just love that, that there is room, that Jesus in his grace and his goodness leaves room for everyone, the most powerful person down to the least powerful person, the most important person to the least important person, that there is all room for everyone, you know, and so for me, like, as I've said before, like, I grew up in a broken home, and I bounced back and forth between parents, I never felt like I had a place, but in God's grace, when I found him, or he found me, rather, and I crossed the line of unbelief into belief to Jesus, I finally found my place. And a place that can never be taken and it will never go away. Matter of fact, it's every day as we approach closer and closer to the end of time, it's becoming more full and more in view. It's not hidden. So just as body is many parts, so it is with Christ's family. And I love verse 13 too. Baptized in the one body, like no matter what you've done. I know we sang about this a little bit this morning, but no matter like what you've done, no matter where you were or what you've come from, you have a place and the ability to belong in the body of Christ. There is nothing that Jesus' death, and we did sing about this, there's nothing that Jesus' death can't remove, can't cover over, can't help you walk away from. Like, there is no dead-end streets when it comes to Jesus and his sacrifice. No dead-end streets. 
no dead end streets. And that's helpful for me because, you know, like most people, I've got the checkered past, right? And I'm like, really, God? Like, are you sure you've got that? And he's like, yeah, we're good. No, but, but what about that thing? What about this thing that I still am waiting for you to, to, you've redeemed, but I'm waiting for you to free me from? No, 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 you're fine. Because it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon me, Tyler. It's dependent upon me. And I like this too. The church or the body is not made up of one type of person. It says that in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but many. Like thank goodness, right? Thank goodness it's not made up of just me, right? Because then we would all be running around bald-headed. I mean, you know what I mean? Like thank goodness that the, the body is made up of different people. And rather, I would say it has to be made up of different people. It has to be. And so, like, if you're thinking, well, I don't know where my spot is. I'm hoping I'll figure that out. But I really like that person's spot. Like, maybe I should be that person. Actually, no, you should run away from that idea. God has uniquely made you for the spot and the place and the role and the function that you are made to be. God has uniquely made you. In verse 15 and 16, it doesn't matter what you say in regards to the role you play, whether you're a hand or an ear or belong to the body, right? What matters is that we do and that we should. And so I get it. Like there are times in our lives, right? Like there's been seasons where I felt closer to God, farther away from God. I don't know where you are in your season. Maybe you feel closer to him right now. Maybe you feel far away. Maybe this is brand new. Or maybe you're like, I'm trying to figure out how to make this thing work in this thing so that I could actually follow and, and be more like him. But there's been parts of, you know, there's been seasons in my own life where I've not been a part of the body, and that's okay, right? Whether it's sickness or stress or family or disagreements, all the things. Like, there are times where we feel closer to him and not closer, but what's not okay, and this is what Paul's talking about. The Corinthians, are, they're trying to figure out how to live their spiritual lives in, the, in Corinth in the world that they find themselves in. And what Paul keeps saying is it's not okay to not be a part of the body. And that's the thing. It's not okay. Like, and I get it. Like, we're Americans, right? Like, we like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, you know what? I'm good. I'll let you know when I need something, God. Thank you very much. I'll let someone know when I need something, you know. And then we suffer in silence, right? We suffer in silence. We suffer alone where we don't have to. But this idea that we can walk our faith out individually without being a part of a body somewhere whether it's here or somewhere else what's most important is that we're a part of the body is the one of the most anti-gospel things i can think of because our spiritual walk is some kind of balance right some kind of balance of the individual thing that jesus has done for me and then also the corporate thing that we get to do together the corporate thing that we get to do together and I get it, right? There's times where I'm like, hey, I could do things alone. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anyone. But here's the thing. It's through the church that Jesus is going to bring back his kingdom. When he returns, it's through the church. And so, like, there's lots of problems in the world. There's lots of things in the world that are going on. There's lots of things that we disagree on, right? You want to be part of the solution to the world's problems? Be a part of a local body of Christ. You want to be a solution? You have to be a part. You have to be engaged. You have to step in. You have to say, okay, I'm going to do something about it. But I get it. It's easier to sit back and say, well, it should be this or it should be that, right? But that's not the biblical view of what the body's supposed to be. It's pretty clear. 
You know, Paul is writing to a church that is wildly criticized, right? That's what they're dealing with. They're struggling. New believers in a new church are struggling with how to be for Jesus, but also live in a culture without mirroring that culture, right? And all they had was each other, right? You get that? Like, all they had was each other. It was the life raft, this new life that they're trying to build. All they had was those that were in the ship with them, those that were in the car, those that were, they were staring at each other in the eyes, because of all the hostility of the surrounding culture. I get it. Like, we forget this sometimes in America, where we have mostly everything we want and need in a moment's notice, or we have devices that could get us those things, right? I could be entertained at a moment's notice. I could check out at a moment's notice. I could order anything. I don't even have to go to the store anymore, thank goodness, for St. Amazon, right? Who loves St. Amazon, by the way, right? Except when the bill comes, right? That's the thing. I hate it, because it's like, I think that's their model, by the way. Like, oh, they won't return it, right? But here's the thing. Persecution has always happened to the church. Persecution has always happened to the church. In the early church, at the time that Corinth was being written about, Christians were being burned in sacks of oil to light garden parties in Rome. Did you know that? Or, maybe you're familiar with this metaphor, or they were being chewed on by tigers and wild animals in the Colosseum for entertainment. That's the, fa- that's the level of persecution that Corinth was facing. And can you imagine, like, that's your fate. You're like, this could happen at a moment's notice because Christianity was outlawed. It wasn't just something that wasn't accepted. It was outlawed. You, know, you ever feel that way? Like, we're, like, we're, you know, like Christianity's being pushed and pushed and pushed and, like, where's the line behind us and how far do we go back? And is there a cliff there? Is God going to catch me? I don't understand what's going on in the world, but it's not the world that I knew 10 years ago or even 15 years ago, Right? All we have is Jesus, which is enough, by the way, but then we have each other, too. Because it's just us, right? And so persecution might look different, but it's still persecution. And most of Paul's writings are writing to, as a response to, how to deal with the persecution. So, of course, the main thing would be, hey, you guys should be unified and pulled together, right? You should be pulled together. You know, so what does it look like, right? Like, what does that look like? We're not being chewed on by wild animals in a coliseum, but maybe it goes something like this. Maybe you've ever felt this way. I don't know. Hey, I'm having a really hard time right now. The world, as I said, is no longer the same. I'm struggling financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Hey, pray for me. Will you pray pray for me or remind me that Jesus is real and resurrected and is sitting on the throne and his plan is being worked out in my life? That's the best lifeline that you and I can have for one another at a moment's notice. But as I said a second ago, so many of us decide to walk the road alone and suffer in silence. And then we're like, God, where are you? And yet God, in his grace and his wisdom, exposes us to his presence through the people that he has in our lives. Through the people that he has in our lives. It's not just him individually. It's also the balance of what we do together. And so, as I said, New Christians, all the New Testament Christians had was each other in community. That was it. And if you're familiar with the writing in Hebrews, right, like it's, they had their, they had their property taken. And like at a moment's notice, the authorities could show up and kick you out of your house and burn everything and, and, and toss you to jail. And I love the verse later on in Hebrews where it says they, that those Christians, they gladly They gladly accepted the taking of their property so they could go encourage those Christians that were in prison for the faith. Man, I want that radical kind of life. I want to be that 
assured of God that I'm willing to suffer at whatever it takes so that I could be an encouragement to other people. That's what I want. But I don't know if I really want what's going to require that, right? There's the battle line, right? Like it sounds good here. It sounds great here. But man, when I put hands and feet to that kind of lifestyle, oh my gosh, what is it going to cause me to give up, right? What is it going to cause me to press in? When there's disagreements and a family hurt each other sometimes, right? And we get upset with each other. What's it going to look like when I press in that way? Am I going to be willing to let go of my grievance for the sake of unity? Man, that sounds countercultural these days, right? In a moral outrage culture where it's like it's easier just to be morally outraged. By the way, have you noticed that in moral outrage culture that usually the ones that are most outraged are the most amoral? Have you ever noticed that? Isn't that funny? It's like, but wait a minute, like, I thought it was to say, you just do you, and it's fine, and we'll be ourselves, and whatever, right? Like, I get that, but I just think that's interesting to me. But am I willing to say, you know what? I'm going to be who God's made me to be, who's created me to be, who he's purposed me to be, where he's placed me, not just here, but where I live, and where I work, and where I play, right? And and be okay with maybe being a little misunderstood, but I'm going to be Jesus' hands and feet anyway. Man, that sounds countercultural to me. Here's a different example. How about this? Well, I think we've all experienced this as well. Churches at times, unfortunately, because we're human and we're sinful and we can, we, we can make mistakes, which we often do. I make mistakes all the time. Have been leveraged as a weapon for power that has wreaked havoc and pain and instruction and, and hurt and malign people since its inception. Right? You know someone's ever been wounded by a church? Hurt by a church? Disappointed by a church? Or... Or a, family, or a fellow brother or sister in Christ, or by a staff member or a pastor, right? You know how we stop that? We show up. We show up and we say, no, not this church and not in his name, right? It's not just that we're looking on the outside. We have to look at the inside, too. And there we go. When we refuse to do so, we become a part of the problem, not the solution. Jesus didn't equip us to be a part of the problem. He equipped us to be a part of the solution. He equipped us to be a part of the solution. You know, and as I said earlier, going back to last week in the first half of chapter 12, your gifts, your talents, your time, your treasure are needed for everyone, not just yourself. Do you know what someone, you know what it's called when you just have everything for yourself? Do you know what that's called? A hoarder, right? We've seen that show, right? That's, what's the show called? Hoarders or something, right? Where everybody has so much stuff in their place and they can't move around, you know, and like, I can see how it gets here because, like, you know, we have three kids and, you know, like, I don't have a place anymore, really. I think my place is my bed, you know, and that's about it, right? And that's fine. But they invade. Kids always find a way to invade your space. You know what I mean? So that's fine, right? I love them, kind of. I mean, you know what I mean? But, like, there you go. Well, I'm sitting over here, so she's, like, she's probably taking notes and, you know, there you go. That's fine. Good. Take that note. I love you, kind of. But um, here's the thing. All that God gives is not for us. It's for everyone. And so I think what Paul's saying is, hey, don't be a spiritual hoarder. Imagine that. Like, what does it look like not to, to, to leave room and space in your life in such a way that other people can feel the blessing and presence of God? Yeah. So it matters what your gift is. It matters that you're called to participate. We don't just participate to help others flourish. When we participate, we also flourish, right? If you're like, gosh, you know, I've been walking this walk, and I feel like I've been doing this, and I'm, I've kind of hit this wall. I'm in this dry season. I feel kind of close to God, not kind of close to God, and I'm looking for that next thing. Perhaps he's calling you to participate. Perhaps he's calling you to press in, right? Perhaps he's calling you to, to, to be a spiritual friend to someone that you don't want to because it's hard. 
you know? Giving ourselves away is a means, is, is a means, is how we flourish and help others too. I think we forget that. Let me just read this and soak all this in individually and I forget the group piece. And as I said, you know, earlier that um, when we become part of the, the problem, not the solution, when we don't give ourselves away, I think what we're saying, we may not ever put language to this, but what I think we're saying is we don't think God got it right. God, where you put me, it's not right. You know, no church or person is perfect, right? We're going to both heal and hurt one another, but the bottom line is, is when we refuse to be a part of the body, you know, we're saying, God, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. And so our observation is this. Our faith journeys, just one observation today. Write this down and figure out what this means for you this week. Or, you know, put it in your brain and, and write it down later. But our faith journeys, as I said, are a balance of both individualism and corporate church life. It's a balance. Sometimes it's 60-40. Sometimes it's 70-30. But we are called to be whole selves people, right? Like, I don't withhold anything from God, and I shouldn't withhold anything from you as long as it's within a boundary. That's healthy. You know, like, there's the other side of the spectrum, right? Sometimes I can be so for people that I get unhealthy because I don't have a boundary. Right? We can't be everything to everyone, but God does put us there. And so, like, why would I say that? Why would I say, God, you got it wrong? Verse 18 says this. Let me point you back to the text. This is after the ear and the eye. By the way, it's, I noticed this. I didn't notice this this week and earlier, but it's like, if the body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Why is he attaching hearing to an eye, right? And smelling to an ear. I thought that was interesting. That's I, I paused this morning. I don't have an answer for you, but there you go. But verse 13 says this, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Okay. As he chose. And so the, the thing is, is we either believe that or we don't. There's not a lot of gray room there. We either believe that or we don't. The Greek word for arranged is tethemi. Tethemi. I think she'll stick it up there maybe. Tethemi, meaning to put, place, or lay. Love that. So the idea is that in this body, whatever body you're a part of, whether you're visiting or not, or you're looking for one, where you end up, God individually placed you there according to his plan and purpose. Right? Have you ever seen cobblestones, streets? Right or in, in Europe or in France or you know in, or, or you know or maybe in, in the South in Charleston or something like that they have these cobblestones like they just didn't pave it right the easy way which is not easy because it takes too daggone long to finish a road project around here right but they individually placed each stone to make the road you and I are placed like that here you're placed like that here God has played in His plan placed each of us like a stone at crossroads for his glory and our benefit. And we are one body united in Christ before one God by one spirit. I love that. I love that. Just the idea that each of us have that part to play. And here's the thing. If God got it wrong, right? Because if we don't refuse to be a part of the solution and we become a part of the problem, that means we're saying, God, you got it wrong. And if God got it wrong, then there are bigger problems than unity and being a part of the body of Christ. Because if he could get this wrong, he could get other things wrong. And I don't think we worship God because we got, because he got things wrong, right? I think we worship God because he gets it all right, including where you are, what he's gifted you to do, how he's made you, how he's purposed you. 
not just for in here, but also out there. Like, you realize he is sending you to meet your counterpart in the culture right now? Right now. Also in here. Isn't that the beauty of how it takes all of us to be a part of the body? And in that diversity and in that gifting? I love that. But if God got it wrong, we've got bigger problems. Because if he could get that wrong, then maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe he hasn't perfected me, right? Maybe, maybe his sin actually doesn't, or his death doesn't actually cover my sin. But we know that not to be true, right? We just took communion. That's why we take communion. It's why we worship. It's why we sing. So, okay, I'm going to pause for just a second because I realize tithemi, which is where we get our word tithe, see, is similar to the word tithe, right? Every once in a while we give a financial update. I decided to place it here just based off the word. So every few months we do a financial update let you guys know where you are. And so coming out of summer, right, summer's always a fun time because, like, we're all on vacation and all the things, right? And then and summer's also, and, and the start of the school year is also where expenses go up. So we're still running a deficit, by the way, uh, and that's okay, right? We trust God's purpose and plan. Um, but what I want to say is that we are very thankful for what you do and what you give. And I could say this just for finances, but it's not just finances. This is what you do. There's a lot of people that serve and give their lives away for others, right? And in a lot of ways, I'm preaching to the choir, so they say. That's a, that's a fun old saying. Or that's a good church saying, like we're preaching to the choir, although I don't know how we'd fit the choir back here. That would be fun to figure out, wouldn't it? No. I know. No. <laughs> she said no. I love that. No. But here's the thing. What I want you to understand about the deficit is this. We're not talking about paying for the things that we're doing right now. We're talking about stewarding what God has down the pike for us as we continue to walk the path that we're on. That's what giving is. It's not paying for the things today. It's stewarding the opportunities further. And so I get it. Like whenever the pastor brings up finances everybody gets a little squeamish and my palms are a little sweaty too you know just because talk about because I'm like I don't want you guys to be mad at me or anything like that right but we understand like costs are up across the board for you and also at the church too right and so as we continue the transition in our new season like this is just a transition year is that good things are happening and I'm so proud of that but what I'm also proud of and what I'm excited to see is what God has coming down the pike. So when you give, I just want to say, when you give, right, like we support uh, our missionary reach partners across the globe. We have needs in the congregation that we meet. We also have things that we serve with them locally as well. And so it goes well beyond just what you think it goes to, right, which is not my salary, by the way. That's not the only thing it goes to. So this is not personally motivated at all. But I know sometimes when pastors talk about finances, it feels that way. But it's not, okay? And I trust the Lord for his plan and provision for our church. And so the good thing is, is that we were all placed here to participate, right? And that's one way. And so if you're thinking, you know, I don't know if I have enough, right? And, that, and usually when it comes to finances or serving, like you think, well, I either have this or I don't, right? I don't have that gift. I need that gift. Or I don't have the extra income. I don't have that. And here's the thing. There have been seasons where I have not regularly served. There have been, before I became a pastor vocationally, there have been seasons where I didn't financially give. But when I did that in a way that honors the Lord, he always showed up and did amazingly more things. Now, I'll say this too. There's been times where I've done it and he didn't. So I don't want you to walk away with, well, Tyler's just talking about the prosperity gospel. 
I'm not saying that at all. But what I do know is God is faithful and does provide and does encourage us to participate. And so, okay, so there's my five-minute infomercial, okay? Did I lose everybody or are we okay? Okay, we're good. Okay, sweaty. I need a towel or something. Okay, but I put it here on purpose. So I put that there on purpose for verse 22. Because you're thinking, I may not be enough. Or I don't have that gift. Or I don't know where to serve. Or I don't have the extra income right now to, to, um, to, to give to, to the church and its mission. And so this, there's hope for you just like there's hope for everyone in this verse. Okay? And I love verse 22. Because there's a part of me that's verse 22. I know you're like, well, that's easy for you to say because you're up there speaking. No, it's true. And it's this. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Are indispensable. Those things in me that I don't think are enough are indispensable to all the other things that God uses and uses me for. And likewise for the church. You don't think you have a gift to give? You are indispensable according to Paul. You believe that? Because Jesus died for you to be that. You are indispensable. I just love that image. If you don't think you can, Paul is actually saying to those parts that seem less, you are the missing piece. And there are parts of us that are all missing. And we're waiting and hanging on to his hem of his garment like the woman who was bleeding. And waiting for him to heal us. Waiting for him to finish his perfection. Hoping. And in Jesus, we can have that kind of hope. And so, as I said a second ago, we're not looking at current ministry. I'm not looking at what you're doing right now. I'm looking at, I'm thinking about, I'm praying for what God is up to in this church. Not now, six months from now, 12 months from now, right? And it doesn't just take finances. It takes all of us playing our part. And so, the question you need to ask yourself is, is what part am I playing and am I doing that? Because, again, if we say that we are, or that we're not, then we're saying maybe God got it wrong or he got me wrong. Jesus died for you not to be wrong. Because God has placed each of us. I love that. He's placed each of us like a stone as an altar for him to receive glory. Amen? Amen. Verse 23. Almost finished. I think we're going to hit that football game. Thank goodness. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Right? I think... When someone steps into, in faith into a role to serve and sacrificially in whatever way that looks like, whether it's our time or our treasure or our talents, I think heaven rejoices not because of what they're giving, but because God is being honored and glorified. One, one, one couple examples. The woman who gave the brass coins, if you're familiar with that passage, brass coins were worth nothing in that culture, worth very little, less than you know, less than the, 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 the um, money that was used in first century. But Jesus said she gave more of nothing of herself than the richest person in the room. I love that. Or Mary in the jar of nard, right? She blessed and anointed Jesus' feet, preparing him for crucifixion. Or how about this? Okay, so you're like, okay, I get it, the money thing, right? But how about this? What about the sinner who who lamented more greatly over their sin than the religious person in the same space. It's not just about treasure. 
It's about time as well, and it's about the heart. And so here's the thing. Let me just clear this up for you. We're all those persons, by the way. I'm that person. Spiritually impoverished before Jesus rescued us and still impoverished without his faithfulness, which is not in doubt. He is faithful. He is faithful. And this is why the church and CR are so important, because it takes all of us. All of us, spiritually beggars before a holy God who says, you're enough because my death is enough. You're enough because my death is enough. And so I love the vision that Paul ends. We're almost done. In verses 24 through 36, or excuse me, yeah, 24 through 36, but specifically 26. You don't think you matter? You don't think you have a place? You don't think you're affected? Do you think you can live your life without being a part of the body? Look at this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. You're suffering alone. We're suffering too. Because we all suffer together. But now I love this too. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Love the vision of that's what I want our church to be like. One that suffers well and one that honors well in spite of the differences that we might have. In spite of the differences. Paul writes later in Ephesians, similar situation at the church at Ephesus. And in chapter 1, he talks about our inheritance. Elders and uh, me and the elders were meeting this week, and this passage was referenced, so I wanted to read this over you. And Jesus is talk, or Paul is talking about Jesus' death and the Holy Spirit as the guarantor, the guarantee of our inheritance, the deposit, the down payment, right? So right now, if you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, and he is the down payment of the life that we will live once eternity melts away. But I want you to listen to the role that we have together in that. We have a part to play too. So it's chapter 1 of Ephesians, starting in verse 15. Listen to the inclusive language here. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. We suffer, we honor. Toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints, and I love this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his powers towards us. He did not say towards you. He said us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, thank goodness, but for the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things, what? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It takes all of us to be the fullness of him who feels all in all. It takes him. Because we get to play a part in the inheritance that Jesus guarantees through the Spirit. He's that good of a God. So I know the band's going to come back up. He's that good of a God that you and I get to play a role as we experience and understand and feel and spread the inheritance that Jesus' death has given both us. 
And so a question I have for you as we sing is, one, spend some time with the Lord before this song and figure out where you are, right? You can never go where you need to go unless you figure out where you are, right? I think that's how Google Maps work, right? Like you have to have a starting place. Let this be a song of response of where your starting place is. And there's no judgment, right? Like this is not meant to shame, right? But I love what Paul has to say is he keeps challenging the Corinthians to be one. And we'll never reach the fullness of what Paul was talking about in Ephesians if we're not one. And if we don't do it together. So this is not a like, oh my gosh, we're messing it up. This is we get to do this. We're going to do this do it wrong, but God's grace and through Jesus is going to cover us. Amen? Yeah. After the song, by the way, we've got an opportunity to bless some teachers at Key Elementary. And so we're going to have some gift bags, I think, in the cafe afterwards. I would love for all of us that you can stay and help fill those bags because it's better that we do it together as opposed to two or three people doing it and remaining in. Agreed? So if you have the, if you have the time to do that, I don't think it'll take very long love for you to stay. If not, that's okay too. Will you stay to pray with me? So God, as we just think about who you are and as we think about what you've done and what you're doing, God, I pray that in this song we would figure out where we are in relation to you. Let us drop a pin right now spiritually and say, okay, this is our starting point. Let us continue on in the life and the plan and the path that you've called us to knowing that we're not going to get it right, that we're going to get it wrong sometimes, but we have to fight for unity as if it is the oxygen that we breathe because we will never do what you've called us to do together as a family if we can't be one. I think that's a worthy goal. I want to be one. I want to continue to be one. And I know that comes in season and out of season and it's hard. But Lord, I'm thankful for all of us that are here. I'm thankful, God, that we are a family. And in spite of the hard times and the good times that we can still be a family. So I pray, Lord, that spiritually, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to knit us together. That you've placed us, that you've purposed us, and that you're sending us to be your hands and feet. We ask all this in your name. Amen.